Live from Maricopa, Arizona, it's This American Podcast Comedy Edition with Tony Visick. You know, I can't believe that in all the years I've been doing this, it never occurred to me to do that right there. To, while the music was playing, to go heart and soul into his... Right here on the page that you're probably uh, listening to us on, Comedy Schools Radio Network.com. You know what we got coming up now? I'm going to call him. I'm going to call him now. Now, Jeff, who's a grown man, he's a grown man, but he um, has asked me several times, Santone, will you remind me, because he's a writer and he, and he sits in his office and writes all day and he doesn't have to clock in or anything, he, um, like some of us, I've actually lost track of days. Like I've, I've had like four or five days off and I've been home working here at home. And I go, is it Wednesday? Is it Thursday? He asked me to text him to make sure. Now, I texted him last night. We're going to see if we get him. Hold on. We're pulling him up now. There. It, the phone is ringing. We do have a... Uh, a Hello? Is this Jeff? Speaking. Yes. We, we, we want to know. We wanna, we're from the... You know who this is. I was going to say something witty, and um, it flew out of my skull. How are you? Okay, how are you? Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, moms and dads, um, on the other end of uh, the line, although I think it's actually on the other end of the uh, satellite bump, uh, is none other than Jeff Ebigov, um television producer, screenwriter, novelist, and friend of the show. That's who we're speaking with right now. Did you get the text I sent last night? I did. So there, and I got it at the exact right time this morning. Yes. See, <laughs> I thought if I sent it to, like, I, I don't, I don't sleep at night. I mean, I sleep at night, but it, it, I don't fall asleep till. No, you know what? I don't sleep at night. I sleep in the morning. Okay. I, I can't tell you the last time that I went to sleep before midnight, except to take a nap during the day. Okay. So. Last night, it may have been 12.30, maybe in 1.30, I went, oh, wait a minute, I got to send, send Jeff a text so that um, he doesn't go off on some more important adventure. You live at the beach, you know, you might have went, you might have scheduled like volleyball or kayaking. Um, not quite the season yet, but no, the thing is, it's like, because I write every day and I'm, I make my own schedule, typically when... It's like uh, an errands day, which we all have. Um, and most people do those on Saturday and Sunday because they work Monday through Friday. I purposely will write Saturday and Sunday and make Monday or Wednesday or some other day um, my errands day. So basically, I have no sense of what day it is. Yeah. So, it's, so I could know, yeah, I'm doing Tony's show on Friday, and I could know this Thursday night, but not realize it's Thursday night. So wake up Friday morning, go, I'm going to go for a walk on the beach. You know, so sure, that's the thing. Shirley will ask me sometimes, she'll go, what day is it? And the only reason I get upset 
It's because I don't know. <laughs> there you go. And I'll go, I go, what do you mean you don't know what day it is? You should know what day it is. What can, and they go, I don't know what day it is either. Um, I have a little looser schedule. It's, you know, neither one of us uh, have to get up and slog through um, 8 a.m. traffic in Los Angeles or Phoenix and go to an office and sit at a desk there or, or uh, right. uh, put on a uniform. Do you ever do that, though? You ever, um, you ever think, today I'm going to write like a little sailor suit? <laughs> <laughs> I, I would, but it doesn't fit. <laughs> put on like a Dame Edna wig. Go, There's no one here. <laughs> you know, when you're out to put on a big Dame Edna wig You know, when I, you mentioned the beach I moved here uh, for those I don't know if it's come up on the show in December And in November Packing up my house You know what I found? A Dame Edna I wig I found my old McDonald's uniform Really? <laughs> yeah And it still has a touch of odor <laughs> Of that grease After all these years <laughs> Not bad just, just a trace, just enough for you to smile and go, oh, yeah, my youth. Now, when you say an old McDonald's uniform, was it like a straw hat and overalls, E-I-E-I-O? Oh, no, you know, you know, I, I was that not clear? No, you were absolutely clear, but when you said old McDonald's, it immediately triggered in my head the, uh, the little nursery rhyme. Old McDonald's. No, I'm talking about the fast food joint. I know, literally. I'm just telling you. <laughs> What happened in, in my... in my um... so, may, so maybe now that you've given me the idea, maybe uh, when I start writing today, I'll put it on. You ever do anything? Because, because as a writer, you're, you're, you're solitary a lot. You don't have like a... <laughs> yeah. As a writer, there's never like a group of people sitting around cross-legged, smoking joints, going, listen to the way you type that, man. It's not like being a musician. Well, in writing TV it is. That's exactly what writing TV is, except without the pot. You don't get to, like, wander off the, the exec producer <coughs> showrunner goes, all right, you develop this section, and you wander off to your office and write that and bring it back? Or Some, some showrunners do that, but um, uh, it's, it's kind of bad form. It's kind of like, uh, you know, like the, the olden days when, like, You'd see these movies about olden times, like epic olden times, when the general would be the first guy in the front of the lines. Yeah. And it always inspired everyone. That's kind of what it, it's like. I mean, the showrunner's there in the trenches writing with you. If he's called away for an actor emergency, a casting emergency, an editing emergency, then he'll choose his number two and say, okay, keep going with this. But typically, the showrunner who just says, okay, I'm going to just take a nap, you guys do the work. It's, it happens, but it's not good. So no, I never did that. So of the two, you know, so, there, so what you're saying is the, the shows are, uh, by and large, written by committee in real time. Uh, okay, okay two, two things on that, on that expression. Okay. I'll start with the second first. The thing about in, on committee... Yeah. In committee implies no one's in charge. The, sh the head writer, the showrunner, is very much in charge. So it's not like, okay, folks, let's all vote on this joke. It's someone will pitch something and one person will decide, yes, we're going with that, or no, we're not going with that. Uh -huh. Sometimes it's obvious. I was recently asked, um, well, it must be really hard to tell someone their joke isn't funny. 
And they say, no, you don't have to, because they say the joke, and then no one laughs, and they know. <laughs> All right, so let me ask you this. So- no, wait, 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 let me finish. But sometimes someone pitches a joke that's hysterical. It's just wrong. And then you're in the, you know, sit- common sitcom argument. Like, does funny trump everything, or does storytelling trump everything? And again the showrunner will ultimately make that decision. The second part on that is um, the standard way of doing it, every show is different, but the standard way of doing it is a writer will pitch an idea, it'll be discussed either with the showrunner or with the whole staff, he'll be sent off by himself to do an outline, the outline will be submitted, it will be discussed, and then he'll go off and do a first draft. So you're both alone when you're writing your own script, or in the group during rewrites. Okay, so then... So, all right, so... Um, and, and what's cool about that is, because just as you start getting sick of everybody, you get to be by yourself. And okay. just as you start getting lonely, you get to be back in the group. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not bad. So let me ask you this. Uh, as a stand-up, um, and, and working with other stand-ups, say you're, you're all gotten together to write some stuff... Um, You've heard so many things for so long. Someone will tell a joke, and instead of laughing, someone will go, that's funny. That's very funny. And that's... Yeah, that happens. Yeah, so, I mean, does that begin to... If you've been working with a large group of people on the same show for a long time, does the amount of laughter in the room decrease and a lot of recognition of what works? Or are you still entertaining no, one another? No, no it's still... It's, it's kind of stays pretty static, come to think of it. That's a good question. Now, because... Because there are jokes that, I mean, and sometimes a joke that gets a room in the lap, a laugh in the room, is completely wrong because the reason we're laughing is it's so outrageous. It's so over the top that we laugh even though we know, well, that would totally ruin the show or the episode. So, but and other times it's like, yeah, because you've heard so many, you go, oh, that's a really good joke. Yeah, he says that. And then the audience laughs hysterically you know you know that's that's an interesting point you say that it's so outrageous so over the top there's a um there's a concern there's anguish there's angst in the stand-up community right now over uh, a poorly used term and, and poorly understood term called political correctness where comics are for for a number of years there was a box there was a window uh where comics went i could say whatever i want and you kind of could I mean, people would laugh or not laugh, but no one was being uh, castigated for uh, language or content. And now they kind of are, and it's a double-edged sword because in some in some cases it just weeds out people that are going up to be offensive narcissists. But you as a sitcom writer always had to deal with that, didn't you? That there might be a joke, you go, we can't tell this joke, it will cause a problem but we still need a big laugh here or a comedic storyline. So you've always kind of dealt with the concept of... Yeah, but, but often, often you could figure out ways to yes. do the, set, the, the joke for... Like, in other words, someone pitches a joke using the... I don't know if I'm allowed to swear here. The F yeah. word or the S word. And everyone laughs. And they say, okay, well, how can we do... Well, let's change the F word to damn. Uh-huh. Let's change the S word to damn or whatever, crap. 
Um, and so you find a way to kind of translate it. Um, what concerns me in sitcoms now um, is they're allowed to do, they're allowed to be naughty, like sex jokes and stuff. And I have nothing against, I have nothing against any kind of joke as long as it's funny. That's just me. Mm -hmm. But they're not allowed to do, it seems, on, and I'm not talking about talk shows, like political stuff. They're not, don't seem to be able or willing to make like real points about politics or society or mankind or where we are, if it's at all controversial. So it's now not, it doesn't seem anymore it's the language or the sexuality of it. It's the actual controversy of it. And going back to what you're saying about clubs, I personally think comedy is supposed to make you uncomfortable. That's its point. It's supposed to be radical. It's supposed to make you, it's the best way to get someone to think without them being offended. Because first they laugh and that disarms them. Yeah. Well, I think that you know that that final point you make is one that had uh, gets lost on someone. You know, and I tell people, I go, look, be funny first. You can make your point as long as it's funny. You can you can make a joke about anything as long as it's funny because if they're laughing, they are disarmed. But let me ask you this: then you and I both um, uh, are fans of a, a lot of the same classic uh, sitcoms uh, because they were funny and because they were able to make points. All in the Family, Mary Tyler Moore Show. Uh, uh, to name two, uh, Barney Miller, to name three. Um, was there ever a sitcom that was just stupid, goofy, uh, and it, you still enjoyed it? Was there? What, what's your guilty pleasure? Do you have one? And if you can't no, answer, I, this, I'm not. I'm, okay, I know you're asking. I'm going to answer. Just so I'm not guilty. I don't feel guilty about anyone. I grew up. I was a little boy in the '60s. So Gilligan's Island and. Um, Bewitched and all those like totally stupid shows. I, I, that's what I watched as a little little boy. Yeah. I watched to give. I watched the original Batman series, the Adam West Batman series. Loved it. Did not know it was funny. I to me that was straight action. At the end of every week, I would. I was when you know they had the every episode was a two parter, so it would always end with. Batman and Robin about to be killed. A cliffhanger. I would literally be worried. <laughs> I remember, I remember watching with my dad one episode, and I'm going like, and I couldn't tell why he was laughing. Was, uh -huh. I was finding it very offensive that he was laughing in these dire situations. What's wrong with you? And then it ended, and I said, Oh no, I, I hope they get out of it. And he goes. Of course they're going to get out of it. It's a TV show. They have to come back next week. And I'm like, yeah, normally you'd be right there, but I don't know. This one's pretty tough. So, yeah. So, I mean, those when we were little, we were looking at like Gilligan's Island, which is flat out silly. Bewitched, by the way, I, I read an article not too long ago that, um, and I forget who the creator was or head writer. They were being uh, quite... Um, um, I, I, I'm trying, I, the, the word escapes me. But what they were doing there, they were presenting a mixed marriage. That's where it started. But it, yeah, I, I read, heard that too. But it was, it was an analogy of a mixed marriage. But it went away from that very quickly. Well, oddly enough, no one did the, uh, the husband, uh, Dick Sargent, at the end was gay. It was truly a mixed marriage. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So, and it's the same thing with, I was watching an episode of, uh, uh, God help me, the Andy Griffith show the other day. And I realized that they were telling, you know, really good humanistic messages in these stories that, you know, that uh, Andy Griffith's empathy for Barney, you know, uh, uh, you know, Barney was, I go, wow, there's a, there was one about, this one was about a guy bullying Barney and how uh, Barney was dealing with it and how Andy dealt with it. And I went, it was more than just this goofy little show about Mayberry. And, you know, some people might be rolling their eyes right now, but uh, uh, it, there was a little more to it than just, hey, look at these quirky people in this little town. Yeah, and, and there was that fantastical element because here's a small town in the south with no black people. Yeah, it's a different neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> no, but and again, going back to the word guilty pleasures, and I know people use that, but like, I'm, I just liked whatever I liked, and it occurred to me not too long ago, I was, at the same age, I was enjoying, thoroughly enjoying uh, All in the Family, which was brilliant on all levels, and Welcome Back, Cotter, which was stupid on all levels. It was. And, yeah. and it, but it was like the enjoyment level was, okay, now I'm going to watch this great thing, and now I'm going to equally enjoy this stupid thing. Well, you know, you, but it wasn't because like I liked one, I couldn't like the other one. I had to feel bad about liking the other one. When you think about Welcome Back, Cotter, the initial concept was supposed to be sort of thought-provoking. It was it was a comedic version of the Blackboard Jungle. It was the uh, the liberal intellectual teacher going into a challenged neighborhood to try to uh, uh, help people who uh, were overlooked by society to be able to rise up. It quickly dissembled into up your nose with a rubber hose. <laughs> right. But, I mean, that was the original concept. You know, let's do this show about it. Uh, before, the, because if you think about in the 60s, everybody, Andy Griffith Show, everybody's so white bread. Leave it to Be Beaver, everybody's so white bread. Bewitched even, everybody's so white bread. So Welcome Back, Cotter was supposed to be, uh, you know, we, ethnic people on, you know, the, the black right. guy, the Italian guy. The Spanish guy who was actually Jewish, you know, um, but it, it quickly went into stupidity because that's what was happening at that time, man, was just stupidity. Well, they were both happening. I, I heard this story of um, Jim Brooks, uh, who was doing, at the time, either Mary Tyler Moore Show or Taxi, both great shows, and he and, um, what, oh, what's his name? The guy, Happy Days, Odd Couple, um, I'm blanking Gary out. Gary Marshall, Gary Marshall. Gary Marshall, right. And, and they were friends. They kind of rose up together, and now they're both like kings of TV. And Brooks goes to see him on the Laverne, Laverne and Shirley stage. And Laverne and Shirley are strapped, like, trust as animals and strapped to this thing where they're swinging and, like, flying out of control and screaming and giggling. And Brooks just gets... I can't believe we're in the same business. <laughs> <laughs> now, let me ask you this. At this point in your life, someone comes to you and they go, we've got this idea for just a stupid show. It's a, it's a dumbed down version of the banana splits. Only with... <laughs> <laughs> only I remember that name. I don't even... Okay, this might be the age difference between... I remember the name. I have no... I cannot remember what it was. And, but anyway, go on. And it only it's with people, and it also has a, a, a talking pig 
uh, but in, in, it's just going to be goofy, and we want to keep it goofy and keep it dumb. And here's here's by the way, here's the number for you. Do you take the job or do you pass? Uh, what do you mean? Here's the number. Here's what we're going to pay you. Oh, I guess it's somewhere. It depends on the number. I guess. Now, could you so, so for me? I can write it is as a, for because of what I do, because of the workshops I teach, and that's one of the things that I, I love about teaching workshops because I work with so many different age groups, ethnic backgrounds, uh, uh, and uh, uh, all different sorts of types of humor. You know that uh, people are trying to access. So I can write a totally stupid joke, or I can write a totally thought-provoking joke, and just enjoy the act of creating the joke. Does it work the same right. way? Does it work the same way for most writers that write sitcoms that you've known? I can't. I can't speak for other writers, but I found and I noticed this on Notes and Cheers. Um, I had a lot of fun writing Woody jokes, which I guess you call stupid jokes. But there was a cleverness. If you watch the show, there's a cleverness to his stupid jokes. In other words, he's stupid, and the jokes. He um, and uh, they emanate from a character of being stupid, but the jokes themselves aren't stupid. Yeah. Uh, one example is that comes to mind: um, someone's niece, I guess, coach. No, it wouldn't have been coach. Uh, Sam's niece or someone's niece is in town visiting Boston. She's young. He and Woody, you know, she and Woody sort of hit it off. He says, you know, I'm going to take you around Boston, show you around. He says, where would you like to see? Where would you like to see? He says, I'd love to see Old Ironside. He says, hey, you just got into town. We're not watching TV. <laughs> That's, yeah, I love that joke. You but, wrote but that? It's, it's stupid. I, I don't remember. <laughs> I just remember. But it's stupid, but it's, there's a cleverness underneath the stupidity. It wasn't just for the 20th time up your nose with a rubber hose. I, I just want to say, it's, it's funny, it's not, you, you, you worked on Cheers, but I, I, I kind of had a rediscovery last night because I was watching Raging Bull. So Raging Bull, uh-huh. uh, and, and this will make sense in a moment, and I consider Raging Bull to be one of the best films ever made, the way it's photographed, the work that went into it. It's just stunning. And there's uh, the, the local neighborhood gangsters, a guy named Tommy, who's always trying to get right. Jake LaMotta to take a... Take a you know, and, and he's one of those guys who he comes off like an uncle, but he's deadly. And I did not right. realize until last night, I am 63. I saw Raging Bull in the theaters. I used to watch Cheers on television. I did not realize that it was the same actor who played Tommy the gangster in Raging Bull and Coach on Cheers. Right. And then I, and at that moment last night, I had a complete sea change. Because I used to think that the guy who played coach was like, okay. I thought he was like, you know, I thought this is a guy who acts like this. They found him. He talks like this. They just have him stand there and say words. That was my, especially when I first watched Cheers, not realizing what a good actor this guy was, that internally he could create that lovable coach and that deadly serious character. Yeah, no, he was I never met him. I came onto the show after he had passed. Um, uh, the, the cast spoke so highly of him. Um, and I mean, you always see actors speaking highly of other actors on screen, and you gotta wonder, well, you're just doing it to be polite because you're on camera. But when they're off camera talking like that, you know they meant it. But here's one of my favorite coach jokes. Okay. Is, okay, so 
you know, Sam was a ex-baseball player. Coach was an ex-coach because he was an ex-player. And Coach's great talent as a player was getting hit by the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> and he was just great at that. And he's bragging. It's like, you couldn't miss me if you tried. <laughs> and he gives Diana baseball. And he says, come on, try to miss me. And he walks <laughs> off camera into the other room, and she throws it. And you just hear this huge scream. And Sam goes, you know, I just thought you should have gotten two bases if he got hit there. <laughs> hey, uh, uh, that's funny. That's funny. We got <laughs> to go. Um, I, I'm, up, okay. against, I'm up against kind of a hard break here. But I, I got a question for you for next week. Okay, and here's the question, and I want you to think about it. Uh, you've worked with a lot of great people, uh, and I'm, I'm only talking about the art of it. I want you to tell me one of your favorite people that you worked with and why. It can be a writer or it could be an actor. Actor's easier because people would know who they are more readily. But uh, someone who you really respected and admired because of their, their talent and more to the point, their dedication, their craft. Uh, that'd be an, it, that's something I've never asked you in all the time I've known you, and I'm... I'm very interested in knowing if you could, okay? Okay, I'll give it thought. You give it some thought. Enjoy the beach. Don't and I and I guess I can't pick me, right? It's like no. you can't vote for yourself. No, 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 no. Because <laughs> no, now that I'm wor- now that I'm writing books and working alone all the time, I'd have to pick. I'd have no other pick. And Jeff, you, you can't pick me either. So I know now. Now you've got to give it a deep thought. Um, oh, geez, you were my second choice. <laughs> Don't get sunburnt playing volleyball out there and uh, uh, get out the Dame Edna wig, put it on, and write some good stuff. We will talk to you next week. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. That was that was uh, that was a good morning. That was a good that was a good conversation. Uh, I guess we were both awake. <laughs> that was, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that was uh, Jeff Abigov. Um, he wrote for a lot of great shows. He wrote for Cheers. He wrote for Roseanne. I mean, the the first iteration of Roseanne, uh, Grace Under Fire. You know, that's got to be kind of a weird thing when you've done something you're proud of and you've worked with someone during an era and you're kind of defined, and he's not defined by that show, but you're kind of defined by it. And then someone associated with the show uh, does something uh, that is unpopular or uh, either justifiably unpopular or unjustifiably unpopular or heinous afterwards. You know, infamous, yeah. That you've gone from being involved with something that's famous to infamous, and it, it was a big part of your life. That's got to be... It's like finding out that, you know, your dad was a serial killer, I guess. Which, by the way, a lot of people don't know this. Uh, another little uh, cheers tidbit. Woody Harrelson, who's gone on to be one of America's most premier actors uh, and started out on Cheers. Uh, his father was a... Um, killed a federal judge in Texas and may have killed other people, may have been a serial killer, but his father was the worst kind of criminal, a hitman, a hitman who killed a federal judge who was hearing a case and the people who were being tried decided the best way to win the case was to have the judge murdered. So um, it just goes to show. Nature or nurture? I don't know. Hey, um, that was Jeff Abigov. Uh, we have a series of interviews with him that soon we'll be putting up on our Instagram and Facebook that you'll be able to listen to. They're all here at ComedySchoolsRadioNetwork.com, but we'll be putting them up on uh, other platforms so you can listen to them one after another. A lot of great stories, 
a lot of great tidbits and a lot of great solid information for those of you out there who are uh, considering a career in the field of writing, because that's what the dude is. The dude is a writer, man. Uh, you meet a lot of people who say they're writers. You meet a lot of people who have even written a book. But you know, they're not writers. This guy is a writer and a good one. Um, we're going to be putting all those up because Jeff's going to be coming out to the greater Phoenix area um, sometime this fall to give a seminar workshop talk. I'm trying to find the term or phrase that the least amount of, uh, uh, that the uh, gremlins can uh, not grouse about, you know? It's like, um, <laughs> it's like when someone's doing a seminar and go, what's it cost? It's a cost. Oh, you want money. Who the fuck doesn't want money? I like that when people, uh, they go, you know, uh, I don't think you should charge for comedy teach people comedy go why not you want to charge people to make them laugh you know what is the what is the complaint here anyway we're looking for the um we're going to be bringing them out and uh, i would urge anybody who uh, even has a um, a fleeting thought of entering into the world of uh, writing novels by the way screenplays or television to uh give the man your time uh, for my producer, happens to be my wife, Shirley Low Vizic. My name's Tony Vizic. We'll be back next Friday with another adventure and another thrilling story from yesteryear. Hi-yo, Silver!